I don't know, I, I hear the song and I'm just a little bit overwhelmed. The pictures that those words in song bring to us. And it's overwhelming. And it, it's a blessing f- for me that, that you all put the sermons up on the internet, right? So you can go back and listen to those things again. But I listen to myself just to try to listen to me preaching from the perspective of someone just lit, trying to listen to get what you can get out of a sermon. And I find that my words are so feeble to express what God has really spoken to my heart. Like words fail me. And, uh, and even in an abundance of words, like exactly an hour and nine minutes of words, to feel that they still fall short of everything that, that God had spoken to me in, in the study. So knowing that, being very aware of that, I come to this place to share what God gives. And praying in this space of time that we have together, that He will both give me words to express, but also by His Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear the fullness of what He is saying and the fullness of what He has said. My hope is to convey to you in heart what I have felt as I've read these things and and to express to you the depth of just how profound these words that we have in our hands are to affect our lives and to affect change and to stir faith and to stir hope to increase our conviction of what is true and right about our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, but also stir us to action for His purposes and for His glory. So that it's more than just words and wonder, but it's also a will He gives and work for His kingdom and His purposes. It's the years ago I remember things. It is orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxy, right practice, where those two things wed are the most beautiful works of God in our lives. They're the most beautiful things because it's all for His glory, no matter how you look at it. So, before I say another thing, read another word, let's pray. Father, I pray, right now, today, You speak to us, because it is Your Word that has weight. And You give us words, but only the words You give that are framed 
from your word really have impact. So I pray today, right now, to lean into the truth of your word and lean into your voice speaking these things. And may it be what is said and expressed flows out of what you have said and doesn't depart from it in any place. And if opinion or idea or something interferes, drive it quickly away from conscious thought that we be filled with your words and your truth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 1 Corinthians, we're going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. And since this is somewhat a, a two parter for me, uh, I, I want to, I won't so much recap. Uh, I will say it's out there on the internet. Lord bless you if you got an hour and nine minutes you want to burn up. <laughs> You can go back and hear those things, um, and may that be a, a fill-in for where we start here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And I'm reading from the ESV, just so you understand. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. From last time we... we came at it, the concept of, of, of first importance. And that being what Paul is sharing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know in a, in a great deal, most everyone in this room, most everyone, and Probably most everyone knows me at least somewhat. And if you don't, we'll just have to get more acquainted. Um, but 
I know that we have a very deep understanding of what the gospel is. And it would be easy just to make some assumptions and just kind of walk through that and go, yes, yes, we know that. Very aware of the gospel. Very familiar. Could quote all the pieces and parts to it. And I don't want to say that, well, we just don't want to make assumptions about what people understand or don't understand. I think what Paul is really bringing forward here is I'm bringing to you the gospel. It is the story of all of history. It is the culmination of so many things bigger than what we could even imagine. There's a story that runs across all of history and and in that kind of mystery, God said, and from before the foundation of the world, I was doing this thing, which blows my mind. That, that all of that we see of the gospel story is older than time. It's not just a brand new thing that just showed up. Or, you know, even in ancient times, 2,000 years ago, here's the gospel. Wow. No, it's this outside of time plan of God. So, the gospel for us should never be, yes, yes, very familiar. Can we go on to something else? Because honestly, there isn't anything else. You know, I don't mean that we don't do anything else other than just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, but there's, there's nothing else besides the gospel that turns us back to, directs us back to God's purpose, plans, and design for His creation. Nothing else does that but the gospel. And, uh, today, kind of leaning into this one part of what Paul was saying, and that's the resurrection, right? The resurrection. The resurrection is the exclamation point at the end of the gospel narrative. The resurrection is that is the exclamation point at the end of the gospel narrative. And Paul says that so profoundly, the real hope of the work of the gospel is the resurrection. We'll step a little farther now, reading 1 Corinthians 15, from 12 to 26. And this is why it is the exclamation mark of the gospel. From verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied or most miserable. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Without the resurrection then this is really meaningless. Without the resurrection, there is no hope for us. Without the resurrection, we're still in our sins. I mean, Paul lays this out so clearly. And I know that what he's dealing with with the Corinthians is there's some debate among them. Here's this early, you know, fledgling church. And there's debate among them. Well, I don't know. We're hearing something that Jesus wasn't raised. Maybe maybe this is a figurative thing, or is this, this really happening? And Paul's like, look, you have to understand this. This is so important that Christ didn't just die for your sins. I'm sorry, that's just a one-off, one-off thing. But you're still in them. You're still dealing with them. If He isn't raised from the dead, you don't have any hope. You don't have any sense of eternal life if Christ isn't raised from the dead. And so He's saying, along with the Gospel, let us never get tired of hearing the facts, the truth about what happened. And He's not just giving ideas, but He's saying, He appeared to people I know, you know. They're still alive today. You can go to those people and they can be asked right now, did you see Jesus? And they would say, absolutely, He was right in front of me. And that is powerful for us in the presentation of the Gospel. That witness, that testimony right there is powerful for us in expressing the Gospel to the world. Because it wasn't just, well, these things happen and we kind of heard this and we believe because somebody went and his body wasn't there. And so we're just going to say, he's, he's alive. We hope we guess. No. By absolute proof, God showed that Jesus rose from the dead. By proof, the crucifixion was brutal and awful. 
and unsurvivable. The Romans made sure of that. They were not slack when it came to their brutal treatment. They were not slack when it came to torture. They made examples of everyone that they punished, especially capital punishment. So the people of that time knew that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. And that His blood was shed was not just a pinprick and a trickle, but nails, spikes through the hands and feet, and the point of a sword, and crown of thorns, and bloodied and beaten and awful. So that the probability of someone just kind of getting up out of the ground and walking around after that is zero. Zero. The probability that he just kind of fell asleep, recovered, and then he was walking around is zero. So that when they saw him resurrected, alive and walking amongst them, and completely whole except for the scars, the prince to say, this, it's me. Because most of them, their last recollection was the remnants of a man hanging from this shameful cross. This torture stake. That's their last memory, but yet He stands before them, it's Me! They recognize the pre-crucifixion Christ, but can't believe it. He shows them the prince. Touch them. Feel the wound in my side. I'm here. And that is the exclamation point of the gospel for us. Quick recap because I think we have to understand, be aware that there is a bad news that leads to the need of good news. We, we do have to, that we live in a way, in a time in this world where we have to hear the bad news first so we understand the awesomeness of the good news. And I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this as a quick recap. In the beginning... In Genesis, the beginning, God made everything, and He made everything from nothing. The the expression is ex nihilo. From nothing, God made everything. And every day of creation, when that day it closed, He said, it is good. And at the completion of, of creation, he called it very good. And that's just not some of it, most of it, but all of it. All of it. And he put Adam and Eve, who were the first specially created couple, 
in a pristine garden paradise with every provision that they would ever need. And it was very good. One stipulation that He gave them. One tree in all of paradise. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. Effectively pronouncing to them this one, one, one tree is poison to you. It's poison to you. Just so you know, this there's one tree, one, and this poison. But of all the trees in all of this paradise, you may eat freely of the fruit. You will lack no provision. And it was very good. Even that tree. And it was very good. Without much introduction, a serpent shows up in the creation narrative. And he says to Eve, Did God really say? And he twists God's words into an innocent sounding but misleading question. Did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden? And she said, no, just just the one. We can't eat it or even touch it or we'll die. And then some say, oh, well, she's adding to the Word of God. And I said, well, I, I think you could say that. Um, just to try to quickly be clear here, God told Adam, First, before Eve told Adam, this is the tree, and don't eat lest you die. It doesn't say that he told Adam and Eve, he told Adam. So being in the position Adam was in was to be that, really that lead, that protective, you know, already God giving, establishing that, man, you know, you are to be in this place. Protective, instructive, watching over this creation I've given to you to be to have this dominion over, but also to watch over this woman who I've given to you, part of you, out of you, and, and, and get in that place and stay there. So that concept of it was very good. So though it doesn't say, I can kind of see that God was... Pass it on. You tell, you lead. So Adam tells Eve, everything is ours. We can enjoy everything here. Don't, except we're not supposed to eat from this. Now it could be, and I'm saying just possibilities here. I don't want to write something in that's not there. But possibilities that Adam added the, don't even touch it, as sort of a means of like, let's just like let's just avoid the temptation altogether and let's just make it like we don't even touch it. Or it could be that Eve went that route saying, okay, I just, like, why not just not go near it? 
right? I mean, that's not like outlandish to believe that's a possibility. But this serpent shows up, and I have this concept as the narrative develops there that they were by the tree, right? I mean, you don't hear it sound, and then they walked for a few days' journey to the tree. They just really plays out like they were kind of there, right? And and we've always, you know, typically the narrative has been read to me as like, you know, here's the serpent and here's Eve all by herself and they're doing this and everything's going on here and it's just dumb Eve, what's wrong with her, blah, blah, blah. But the narrative goes on to say, and when she saw the fruit that it was good, she gave it to her husband who was with her. So when we, and, and even, you know, there's so much in the history of the children of Israel that they're just really women. Oh, look what they did. They brought this to us, you know, kind of things like, uh, I'm sorry, guys. But worse than worse is you were right there, representative. Like Adam was right there. And, and Adam didn't go, oh, babe, no. No, come on, really, just, no, you, that's a mistake. You're going to have to, you're, you're going to have to own this one. I'm not going to, and he just like, okay. And it was, and we're done. Yeah, I just did that thing, didn't I? The danger of lapel mic thingies. So seeing what happened and knowing that they were both guilty and knowing that it, happened to both of them, and let's just put blame where it lays, because they were pointing fingers at everybody after when God showed up. But but the part I want to draw into the, really want to draw into the good news, bad news aspect of all this, is what happened between Eve and the serpent still happens with us. Like, it's still there. The enemy has not lost his tactics. He still does the same things. He still acts the same way. He still spins the same way. He still says, did God really say? He still says, well, yeah, I know that, but did God really say? He still twists and manipulates God's words to make them say close enough to something, but far enough away to be deadly. He still does that. So that's the, the real big point to see in this, in this bad news. And I want to read just a little piece of, of commentary, because I just I don't you know want to plagiarize and sound like, oh, I've, I've said this wise thing. Reading from a commentary in a study Bible, The Bible says, When the woman saw, like all the other trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasant to the sight and good for food. So when she saw that, the irony is that somehow the serpent has made the woman discontent with the permitted trees, focusing her desire on this one. Its deadly appeal to her, apparently, 
is its ability to make one wise, their quotes, however, not according to the fear of the Lord. The enemy is constantly manipulating words. And it's pretty much always culminating in the bad thing is really the good thing. Well, this bad, well, God just knows that if you get in this space, you're going to be like Him. Well, God just knows if you get this wisdom and if you get this knowledge, you know, you're going to be more special than Him, more unique, more something, more... It's garbage. It's always garbage. It's always deception. It's always rebellion and it's always what makes you happy. Just do that. Do what you see as good. Do what you will. And that's the voice of the enemy in us still. We hear it in songs. Like of, of our time, maybe not as much. If you're, some might be familiar with Frank Sinatra, whether you were of that era or you've just seen things through time, I did it my way. My way. There's a song, an old song that says, you can go your own way. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you feel good. Well, God just wants to make you happy. So just be happy. God just wants you to be happy. No, God does not want you to be happy. And that don't want to sound like really... God wants you to be sad and depressed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the emotional feeling. God does not want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Because of out of holiness... And explaining holiness is that to be like Him, He is other. He is distinct. He is just very different beyond comprehension. And He wants us to be like that too. He wants us to be different beyond human comprehension. He wants us to be set aside. He wants us to be unique for His purposes. And for His glory. He doesn't want us to do it our own way, because our own way, what looked good to us, is what the bad news is. The bad news comes from us. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't care what's necessary. I just want to do my own thing. My own way. And we celebrate, we applaud that. Yeah, do your own thing. And in my mind, forgive me for this, but I just always go back to the Princess Bride. Fine. Kill him your way. My way, my way. What's my way? Pick up the rock. When his head comes into view, hit it with the rock. My way does not sound very sportsmanlike. Now, some of you got that reference, and some of you may not have. So your assignment, no, I'm not going to tell you, you have to watch The Princess Bride. 
My way. My way. But then the trouble for us as believers is, but what is, but what is, but what is my way? There's so many options and so many choices I can get overloaded by them. You know, my way, my way. What do I feel like doing? What do I want? What do I want for myself? Well, I want nothing but happiness and joy. Uh, what do I want for myself? I want M&Ms for every meal. <laughs> would you do that to your kids? Like, would you give them what they wanted after they tasted their first M&Ms or Skittles or whatever? Would you give them that? You know, it's like, here's your meal. You know, we have, you know, we have scrambled eggs and bacon and everything. It's like, I don't want that. Well, what do you want? I want a bowl of M&Ms and chocolate milk. Okay. And every day, oh, yeah, more of the same. I don't know. Can you imagine what that would be like? I can. I grew up, my dream when I was a kid was to be able to, like, when I get old enough to get my own groceries, I'm going to buy icing. I'm just going to be, I'm going to buy cake icing, and I'm just going to just eat it all myself. Don't want to think about the loss of limbs from diabetes that that would have produced in me, the, the death that that would have wrought in my body to get what I wanted exactly the way I wanted. But the enemy still plays at those same things in us. Because when given the option, and I'll speak to dietary because I wander in those spaces, when given options, we'll lean into, oh, well, if you give me a choice, I'll take sugar and ice cream and cotton candy over you know brussels sprouts or whatever you want to call healthy good clean eating you know well i should be eating meat but i would like ice cream i should be watching everything that comes into my body but i i just want it to taste good and i want it to be good and the more i eat of it the less it satisfies and the more i have to have and and that is the bad news that the more that they wanted, the less they would have. And God knew that. God knew that from the beginning. That was the warning in that one thing. And the enemy just brought them to that, pointed it out, and turned their attention away from all of the good that God had made to focus on this one bad that He said you couldn't have. And we hear and we know the effects of the bad news because we see it in kids and grandkids, right? All the toys in the whole wide world, everything to do that you want to do. They pick up the one thing that they probably shouldn't be playing with and you say, oh, no, 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 you, you can't have that. That's dangerous for you. And it gets set up on a shelf. And in the midst of all the toys, the pouting party starts. You know, crying, I'm going to hold my breath. I don't know, whatever whatever the thing is, I'm just going to stomp and kick and just be all disappointed because I don't get to do that thing. That's I want to do that thing. This is not good for you. Well, all I can think about now is that. Well, here you've got four billion other toys here and there's so many other things to do. Look, there's books, there's colors, there's all this stuff. There's so many things that are just yes and amen, go do them. And you say, I can't do that. Why can't I do that? I want that. Can you get it down for me? It will hurt you. Can I just I know, but I don't all I can think about is that's the enemy at work in us. It's like focusing on what you can't have and just like pulling your attention into God got to have it. 
And we see that at play in the bad news all through time to Christ. We see that at play in in promise after promise. You know, a lot of... Um, just a lot of things that were done and undone. This king, he's going to be the promised one because he's going to establish rule and dominion and everything. And no. No. Ended up murdering blood on their hands. Oh, this king with all the wisdom and all, he's going to bring us, this is going to be our time. And it's like, nope, nope, still, you know, in in short words, he's a chump. Just, you know, this is not, your hope is not going to be here. It looked great. Who will it be? Who will it be? And along comes Jesus. And he's starting to make sounds of the Messiah. And they're like, yes, he's going to be the one. But he doesn't act anything like all their anticipation. Oh, no, can we, can we have, like, I know you've sent him, but can we have king, ruler, kill the Romans, give us the rule, give us back the power? And it's like, no, you've missed You've missed the point. You've missed the point. But I'm gonna get back to the back to the text again, most importantly. So first Corinthians fifteen uh, twenty one to twenty three. This is the story that we just heard. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That is the good news. Because death came by one man. But by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. And finally, to those who belong to Christ. To those who belong to the promise. To those who belong to the deliverer comes deliverance. Now we have the gospel story, the gospel narrative from from beginning to end. And I know it's more of a series of snapshots interjected with a few word pictures here and there. But the point that I think that I'm coming to here, that I know that I'm coming to here, is... The gospel isn't just the beginning, but the ongoing power of eternal salvation. The gospel isn't just the beginning, but the ongoing power for eternal salvation. And I heard this expressed, it was Alistair Begg that I heard give this illustration years ago. But it was a young Salvation Army lassie, and if you hear Alistair Begg, you can hear him say Lassie in his awesome accent. But she asked a, they were on a, uh, some sort of rail car, you know, like a trolley. And she asked a, a bishop 
And this was, unbeknownst to her, a really high bishop in standing in the area. And actually a man who was truly, uniquely among bishops, but truly a believer. And she asked him, uh, are you saved, sir? So a little Salvation Army didn't, to the, to this big bishop, you know, high profile in the church and a real believer. Are you saved, sir? And he answered, do you mean, uh, Esothen? Sozomai or Sothesomai. And he was being really obtuse with Christian verbs. It was just a really, he was just, he was being ornery. You know, just say he was just, he was just being ornery to this poor girl. And what he was, what he was actually saying though with those words was really profound. And it translates this. Do you mean, was I saved? Am I being saved or will I be saved? And the answer is all of the above. Because that's the work that the gospel does. The gospel doesn't just do the, you know, uh, here you go, trust Jesus, believe everything about who he is. You're good. Boom. You know, there's a dumb old song from somewhere in the 70s probably, Drop Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. Right? It's not, that's not the way this, that's not what, salvation is not that. The gospel does not do just that. Get you in the door. Alright. Figure it out. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. All the way through. Beginning to end. The gospel never loses its importance in our lives. Like it never loses its place. We don't just stay back at just, I just got saved. But the gospel is ever a part of the story of us being redeemed, being changed, being renewed, taking on new life, new life in Christ. It's a part of no longer being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Salvation isn't just a fleeting moment of realization and emotion. It's not a one-off, check-the-box experience. It is a lifelong experience, a lifelong process that the Spirit of God tends like a vine dresser toiling over a vine intended to produce a fine wine. That is what salvation is. It isn't just that one-time experience where you, you get in and you're good. It is that where the gospel, the good news of Christ, and the resurrection and all those pieces are constantly informing us of the good intention, the good in, the good plan, the good purposes of God from creation. Constantly reminding us of the battle that is there to distract us from the One who made us and get us to drift into ourselves. That Gospel is working in salvation 
from the time we come to know Christ until we pass out of this life. And that gospel is the end. Yes, I was saved when I was 16, 17. I don't remember the exact year. I remember the experience somewhat, and I can recount that. But I was, I was saved here. And I'm being saved even now. It is a process that is sure because of the cross and because of Christ and the work of the Spirit and Him being in here. It is a sure thing, but is ongoing. And the end, when it's all said and done, beginning to end, I will be saved. And that is the case for every believer. Yes, you were saved. There's a date someplace where the lights flipped on and God changed you and you went from yourself to toward God. And the battle was on, but He was right there with you. The Holy Spirit of God resided in you and began tending your way with conviction when you step beyond the purpose and design of God with with joy when you were in a place where God worked through you and you felt it and knew it and you're like, oh, I receive this with amazing thanksgiving or I've seen God in such a way or what we're singing and you're painting pictures both with the words of the song and also the Scriptures that just emphasize and draw us into worship. Like, The Holy Spirit was tending those things in our lives as believers. The Gospel is still working in us to create and to stir and to draw and to point us to God's intended purposes. I'm going to read one last and kind of say a few more things. Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 to 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that faith did not stop or just have this momentary place when you ask Jesus into your heart. It is for all of righteousness and every righteous thing that will come out of us. It all comes from that faith that God put in there by receiving exactly what He did and by being in that part of doing what brings us to Him day after day after day. And on through till He says, well done. And it won't be, I'm touting all of, look at my resume, I'm touting all the awesome things I did. I'm carrying this bundle of trophies and plaques into it. No. That well done is not going to be look at all the awards and accolades. That well done is going to be fought the good fight of faith. 
fought the good fight of faith, trusted what the Lord said, and let that walk out in me. And Paul said it. We heard it earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, And I worked harder than all the rest. But not I. I mean, not me. Really, honestly, it was the Holy Spirit at work in me. Like I can't, I can't take credit for this. I mean, I did work hard and I did do that. And you can't deny, you look at Paul's words and, and his toiling with the gospel and going places and get bit by snakes and being stoned nearly to death. And all these things, it's like he worked really, really hard. But when it comes down to it, it's like, but that's not, but it's still, it's, and even though I'm doing the work and stuff and I'm here, it's still, it's not me. It's him. It's him. And that is the mark of salvation at work in us. The gospel at work in us is that we do realize it's him and it's not us. When Paul says, I am not ashamed, he is encouraging people to not be ashamed. Because I think that there is a sense that they had of, especially in the Roman culture, of lesser. Right? There was systems and he's like the elite and the erudite, the smart, the classy, the whatever. You know, the the in crowd. You know, and the rulers and the leaders. And then there were just, you know, kind of all the way down to the whatevers. And so here comes, in the midst of all these gods and kings and Laurel wreaths around the heads and togas and the whole mess of pomp and circumstance comes <clears throat> this little carpenter that died on the cross and all these little things and this little microscopic group of you know little Israelite people who just seem so small and so everything. And it would be easy for Roman culture to look down their nose at that and go, oh, what? This little thing, this little stuff? But Paul is saying, it's not so. I am not ashamed of the gospel. There's no reason to hear snide comments about who Jesus is and all these little Christian people. See, that's we hear it now, right? You don't have to be around social media too awful long to hear you know, Christians and your little ways and stuff and feel the snide comments of it all. And feel like, oh, okay, well, I'll just slink back into a hole someplace and just kind of... I'm just going to preach to myself in the corner somewhere. No! No! I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. The so-called mighty things of the world and of men are actually dwarfed by the power of the gospel. Money, power, fame, and the like cannot save anyone. They can only dull one's senses to an inevitable end. Like you were sharing this morning, Jesse, like the sun is going down. So money and power and fame can only dull our senses to an inevitable end. But the power of the gospel for those who receive it is that the end is really only the beginning. What bravery comes to us if we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And from the Psalms, what can man do to me? I will not fear. For what can man do to me? 
And that is what the power of the gospel does. So the world may look down their nose and, and, and sneer at a carpenter punished on a cross. And the wee little Christians just running around with their little ways and saying, oh, they're so insignificant and small. But we can boast in the power of God to save a soul for eternity. And none of the things of this world can do that. None of the things can give that hope, can give that assurance, can give, can set that heart at ease. None of them. The real power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The real power is in the work, the effective work of Christ on the cross and of God in His resurrection and in His Holy Spirit moving in us and stirring us by His Word, to His Word. And with that in mind, every day older in Christ should be a day braver. Every day older in Christ should be a day braver. I've grown to understand in age that the, the older we get, uh, the filters kind of fall off, right? But you just kind of tend to say a little bit more what's on your mind. Sometimes. That might be good. That might be bad. But it happens. And I'm not going to call that out as good or bad or anything. I'm just going to say it's real. But what I do know is this. That in the world of men we see age. We watch it come. And we see our days winding to an end. And we get afraid. We get afraid. Oh, time is short. I'm going to miss something. I'm not going to get to do the things I wanted to do. I'm going to, I'm going to just like it's going to hurt. You know, and, and I'm not going to just like dive into pandemic. I don't have the time. I just want to just like breeze into this and breeze out of it. But fear is the greatest thing, not great like isn't awesome, but great as in like horrible, awful, huge, that had the biggest effect on what happened in the whole wide world, y'all, not just local communities, but the whole world was kicked over by fear. The fear of death, but I could die. And it became very aware and they became very frightened. And fear drove so many things. And and it's 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 different, but but the CDC says in one of their top ten lists of, of factors that could lead to death in COVID is fear. <laughs> but I want to just kind of pull down from the CDC into the BIBLE where God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power, gospel, power, and a sound mind. So that every day older in Christ for us, every day older in Christ should be a day braver to stand up with the gospel 
in word and in deed, regardless of what what can man do to you? Oh, they could they could kill us. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's not a harm in that. But it might hurt. It probably about that long. You've hurt worse with other things and survived. It's not about the hurt. It's not about the pain. It's about it's about knowing the one who fills us with fire and who gives us life that is longer than this little blip that we live in. Do not fear the one who could take your life down here. Fear the one that actually could like end it and just separate you for eternity. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one you have this fear for. For us as believers, every enemy is effectively already defeated. Every enemy is effectively already defeated. We are not walking in an unwinnable war. It's already run. It's already won. Christ already won it. And that is the power again, going back to the power of the resurrection. We are nonetheless mindful. We are nonetheless vigilant. And tactically speaking, as believers, our heads should be on a swivel. You know, we should be walking through this world full of its snares and traps and dangers through many snares, toils and snares. I have already come. His grace, right? We know that those things exist. We know that we are in a battle. Not for our fun or the lack of it. Not for our happiness or the lack of it. But for our joy that is full and found in Christ and Him alone. We are in a battle, but the battle is won. And we need to step into it with the bravery that says the battle's already won. You may not know it yet, and you may not be informed completely of all of it, but I'm going to tell you the battle is won, and the, one, the, the power that won it is Christ. But we should be head on a swivel, you know, always mindful, always watching. Because why? Because our enemy is crafty, just like he was to Eve in the garden, the serpent, more subtle, more cunning. Did God really say he's working that way still? So we're to be mindful, head on a swivel. And number one, first, foremost, and finally, is not fearful. Because the battle is the Lord's. And that's not just in this big spiritual battle sense, but when tomorrow morning you wake up, or when this afternoon, and whatever comes of the day, great things, awesome things, fun things, or, oh wow, didn't expect that kind of thing, suddenly sort of things. The battle is already won in those moments. Christ is on the throne. The battle is already won. Though I face the dangers, God is always faithful and He brings that to bear. And though I face many joys and it's awesome and it's fun, it is God who gives and allows us to sense that and delight in it. So my prayer is that God accomplishes in us ongoing what He brought the gospel and salvation to us to accomplish. His glory, His will, His purposes, 
His goodness alive and working in us. That only happens through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So whether as a believer you step in and say, yes, I'm, I'm here, I already believe that, I've already heard the gospel and I believe that, it is the power of God and salvation that is at work in you to will and to do His good pleasure. And if you don't know that and you're outside of that, then it is His purpose for you to know Him and to know the salvation He brings and to know the hope of that salvation and to know the victory that He brings that you might walk in the newness of life. So, I'll pray to just close these words. Father, may You take what stirs my mind and heart to say so many things. May You take it past all of the distractions and implant it in all of our hearts that we receive Your good news, that we receive what Your Word says, what Your Word clearly states, and walk in it. May we enjoy, delight in Your purposes and presence at work in us to do good things, to do great things, to do victorious things in this world for Your glory for our joy. Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, Amen.